coffee drinkers. Holy shit. I just, it's the first time I'm talking on the microphone and I'm hearing my own voice in the headphones for the first time today. I knew COVID was kicking my ass. I didn't realize it was making me sound like, who do I sound? Sound like Dale from the Jazz Gallery back in the day in New York. <laughs> I doubt anyone's listening who knows that scene, but if you know, if you're the really the one person out there that was in New York in the early to mid 2000s and you remember Dale at the Jazz Gallery, hopefully you have a bit of a chuckle about that. He had a little extra low end on the voice naturally. He didn't need to be sick to have it. But uh, yeah, this is the reality. We are in it. Virus household. And um, been, you know, taking everyone's advice has been great. I post a little bit on Instagram and people are like, yeah, just take it easy and don't do anything. And So this is my one thing today. I wanted to feel like I'd done something. And just sitting here relaxed as much as I can with some liquid, with some throat lozenges, with the kiddo in bed, um, hopefully hopefully I can feel a little bit productive, um, talk to you guys, follow up on the last episode, on the traveling episode. Hey, thank you so much for all the feedback. Telegram channel was popping, um, as was, but more so the email. Now, <laughs> I did say in the last episode, the Telegram channel is the place to go, so it really helps, um, like I said before, that if you if you have a question or you have some feedback on any of these episodes, if you post it in the Telegram channel, everyone else gets to see the answer, uh, if, if I answer it in there. And it's just an easier place to have everything in the same place uh, for me to go back and look at when I'm going to record a new episode like this. And I want to shout people out like uh, Wayne Matthews. Um, thank you for that positive response. And he says, looking to make your gig in Manchester, bring some peeps and my overwater custom for you to check out if you have time. Okay. All right, then. I don't think I've ever played an overwater bass. That's Chris May. I know Chris a little bit from way, way back in the day. Where did I meet? Probably at like a UK base day or something. Super nice cat. Bases look nice. Um, so that will be interesting. If there's time, let's see. Um, and let's shout out the tour dates quickly before we get rocking with this uh, with this episode. London, uh, August 22nd. The Manchester day that Wayne Matthews is talking about is the 23rd. Um, Stoller Hall, 24th, we're in Monaco, 25th is Helsinki, and 26th is the Rhythm Festival in Viljandi in Estonia. And um, for the Manchester show, if I, I want to do this, if you um, if we've set up this thing, um, and the, the, the promo code is VIP25, if you are a student, and if you have a student ID, and you want to come and do the meet and greet and the sound check, open sound check thing, uh, before the show um, we've set it up so if you are a student you can get that for the same price as a regular ticket um, I want to do something because I know there are a lot of schools up there and I figured that actually a lot of a lot of people if they're going to school might be actually the kind of people that would be way more interested in in, in seeing that in in coming to that open sound check and uh, and seeing what's going on so VIP 25 is the discount code um, if you go by that level of ticket at the Stoller Hall website, you can get it for uh, you can get it for the regular price, regular ticket. Um, so yeah, little little offer for the set for the, I was going to say San Francisco. Man, my brain is super fried. I hope I'm going to make it um, make it through the whole episode without making too many mistakes. Yeah, that's it. Tour dates. Shouting out the tour dates. Um, also, something that I my yeah, of course this happened. Family getting COVID. Um, 
right when we're in the final stages of the new book, uh, the, the altered book that's coming out. So I'm shouting out that as well. The pre-sale is still going on and, um, that ends when the book comes out, which is August 13th. So you have a few more days to uh, pick up the last few copies of the pre-order. They are limited because we're doing a live Harmony Masterclass for anyone who pre-orders. That's kind of the deal. That's the that's the bonus for pre-ordering the, pre-ordering the book. And um, that can't be like a thousand people. I have to, you know, cap that. Um, but there are a few uh, pre-order copies of the book left um, at yannickwasdala.com. And yeah, let's plow into it. We got um, we got some good uh, good feedback on the whole traveling with gear thing. Really interesting one in the Telegram channel from Ryan Owens, who said, uh, "My last few years of touring, we played mostly churches and colleges. I would ask the promoter to find a student with a Fender bass to provide. In exchange, I always bought strings and tools, and would set the bass up for the student and leave a few extra sets of strings. Made traveling way easier. Checking strings is a lot less stressful, man." That is, uh, that's pretty gangster, man. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, yeah, especially when I was with <laughs> Diodario back in the day and I just had a ridiculous amount of strings um, on hand. That would have been pretty funny. Or even when I had the, the little charity thing I was doing for a while, the the donation situation with um, uh, weneedstrings.com. Sadly, that was way more work than I thought it was going to be and had to shut it down. But for a while there, I was taking, you know, taking donations of strings, new and old, uh, from all over the world and then getting them to people that, that needed them. And that's a cool way of doing that. Like take a few boxes of strings and uh, have them provide you with a base. I, after the last episode, of course, there were things that was like, oh man, I wish I talked about that. And when I talked briefly about the upright bass thing and how, so many people uh, upright players it's such a difficult large instrument a difficult instrument to travel with all the time that of course you 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 start to get hookups in different cities and you know maybe you know someone you're going to st petersburg or you're going to nice in france or something you just know that one person who has that one base and ahead of time you hook it up and you make it happen so you're not traveling with an instrument and you know you're going to have a cool base uh, to play like I, I also mentioned I didn't mention the cat's name which is really shitty of me but when when I mentioned the fact that all of our you know instruments and bags and everything got lost on a flight between Prague and Madrid my friend uh, Adrian Bartomolina great bass player in Madrid uh, got me a I mean it was an awesome p-bass he bought down for me to play on the show um, and I think the bags did actually show up like five minutes before showtime and I was just like fuck it I'm playing the p-bass and I think I did on most of that show and it was super fun and it was not something I normally do in that band or that music and it just you know reminded me like oh you know what you can do this it's not the end of the world and you know perhaps for some people traveling super light is worth um just straight up renting instruments where you go, just adding it to your rider. Like a drummer adds, um, you know, certain kick drum and toms and snare drum and hardware or something. You know, if the budget is there on the back line, why not add a P bass? A pretty standard thing. If you know you can get through the gig on it, add it to the rider. Don't travel with an instrument at all. Of course, it's bass de jour. It's you're showing up, and um, you, I, I think it's a little different from drums i think if you play like i don't know yamaha recording custom or something or maple custom or something that's pretty standard it's gonna be pretty similar wherever you go especially as it's probably been made around the same time 
and then with a P base, you can get one that's for like from 62 or from 2022. You know, it's a pretty big range. Um, <coughs> wow, there we go. First cough. So yeah, it's, it's something to think about. Um, but it is going to be like a, a quite a big range of, of how the instrument is going to feel. To me, I just kind of take that as a challenge. Um, if, if I were to do that. And like I said, you know, really not giving a fuck. Um, of course, I care about my instrument. I didn't want to come across as like, I just don't care about my instrument. When I say I don't give a fuck, I don't give a fuck. It, like, it's not the end of the world if the bass doesn't show up on the gig. Um, that's how I can be kind of relaxed. You know, people will get, give me feedback like, well, but surely you know, you're saying it's stress-free to walk through an airport not carrying an instrument, but isn't it way more stress worrying about whether your instrument gets there or not? Not really. Not for me, uh, not so far. I think it's actually kind of fun and quite hilarious if it doesn't. Oh, the liquid is essential. So, yeah, and there are some, there are some kind of cool. I don't know how. Uh, I, it's not like I couldn't find out by calling some of these people, but I, I've heard a lot of things about um, the great jazz drummer Joey Barron. For, no, uh, yeah, Joey Barron. Hang on a second. The brain is so foggy. Why? Yeah, Joey Barron, exactly. I, I don't know why. I had Kenny Barron in my head then. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Joey Barron. I've heard some pretty hilarious things about Joey um, where it's like he literally travels with like a fanny pack, you know, uh, or a bum bag for anyone in the UK. Uh, it Maybe like with passport and a pair of drumsticks maybe and like washes the underwear in the sink in the hotel each night like the most minimalist kind of traveling setup you can you can get to i don't know how accurate that is uh i don't know joey baron i wish i did actually because he's a bit of a uh bit of a cool magician as far as i know from what jojo mayer tell, tells me i think they've had some good magic hangs before and uh, i'm a huge fan of that world i've done that for years with jojo so um yeah, that'd be interesting to hang with Joey and see uh, see what's up with his chops in terms of in terms of magic. I love his playing, obviously, and also to ask him about that. It'd be really interesting to see how he uh, how he approaches it. And I heard that you know he moved, I think he moved to Texas or something. Lives pretty simple and spends a lot of time on the road, I guess. So yeah, just cuts down the noise, which I uh, I really appreciate that. I always, I still, after all these years, after 25 years, I feel like I still can't get it right in terms of the amount of shit I take with me. Um, I think that's why I've tried to start to care less about stuff showing up. And also the story I didn't tell, <laughs> um, which happened most recently to me on the most like critical kind of travel and and sort of really needing my own instrument type of uh, uh situation was my shit got lost going to make the new record when i went to make no, uh, one way out in spain with the guys in um end of march beginning of april i showed up and um no clothes what was it no clothes no bass and then uh and then um uh, what was it? I think Nico's bag got lost as well. And that was just coming from Paris on a direct flight. I mean, I get it. I'd come from LA and I'd had a connection and blah, blah, blah. Nico had come on Air France direct from Paris. The bag still got lost. Um, and that speaks to another like real big perk of having status with the airline. When it does get screwed up like that, when it does get lost, like 
when I went to the baggage people to lost luggage over there to figure it all out and to find out where it was, the first thing they asked me was like, hey, what's your airline status? Now, if I hadn't had any airline status, I wouldn't have seen that bag before it was time to go home again. Wouldn't have seen my base, wouldn't have seen my bag. They had no interest. But because I had the status, not only did I get that shit back, but I landed, I want to say at 1 p.m. with none of my shit. And I got that by 8.30 or 9 o'clock the same day. And mind you, I landed in Barcelona and the studio was an hour and 25 minutes outside of Barcelona. So they had to send one dude in a van with that shit. And had it not been for the fact that... um, that one of my friends was also coming to hang at the session and he was landing later. Um, and Nico's bag was coming on a later flight that he could like stop by Air France and pick that shit up. Air France weren't going to drive that shit out for another two days because Nico didn't have status with the airline. Um, so yeah, that's another little perk. I totally forgot about that in the last episode. Really useful to know and kind of helps your bags not like, you know, following you around Europe like two days behind. Which is one thing when you've got a month-long tour and maybe you stop in a place for two days and your luggage catches up. But I had two and a half days in the studio and then I was going home. So there was no no margin for error at all. And I'd carried on uh, I'd carried on one Pelican case um, with a bunch of pedals, the most important ones that I knew I wanted to start recording with right away. And I checked another one. Luckily, that check bag showed up. But yeah, you just, um, you just never know. That's another... I think another big reason for, like I said, not flying these rinky-dink airlines, like over here, it's like Spirit, and I've really considered Southwest to be kind of rinky-dink. Um, yeah, so it, it, a lot of people like they fly those shitty airlines, and they expect they expect them to be like Emirates or Etihad or some really like serious airline, Singapore Air or something like that, and they're just not. They don't have that kind of. You're not you're not paying enough money um, to for, for the for the airline to see any value in you as a customer. So consequently, they toss your shit around, they lose it, they don't really care, they stuff you in whatever seat they feel like. It's a drag. So yeah, definitely get off of like Spirit and Southwest and all of those kind of things. Is definitely in the long run anyway. It may look a little brutal when you've got you know you fly from like i don't know detroit to la or something on spirit and it's like i don't know <laughs> i want to say like 12 dollars. i think may okay let's say it's for argument's sake let's say at 100 and you're like okay 100 bucks that's not bad for a flight from detroit to la boom and then you look at a real airline you look at like united or delta or american just a, a you know mainstay u.s large carrier that you could possibly you know get status with and have some benefits afterwards and it's definitely not gonna be a hundred dollars you know I, I think that's one of the things that's even between american and united i've always looked at american flights and they've always been more than united i think that's pretty consistent and that's one thing that made me go with united in the first place i think they were the biggest airline of the big three well there were four at the time there was continental as well i've actually five with u.s and they all kind of got absorbed. Continental and U.S. went out of business. United bought Continental. Did American get U.S.? I don't remember. Anyway, the, even between the big three, there are differences. And it may seem a little brutal to pay, you know, 100 with Spirit, but it's like 175 with United. But, man, over if you're going to do this for a while, again, it all comes down to that. Like, what is what are your goals? What are your needs? What's the framework? What's the context, more to the point, and what's your, uh, 
how, how is it going to affect you long term? And how long do you want to be in it as well? That's another, another question you've got to ask yourself. Like, is this, is this the life you want? And I, I think that's actually something that's changed over the years. I mean, having a family and all that kind of stuff really, really changes it. Um, actually, whether you like it or not, because it's just not possible to be on the road eight, nine months of the year like I used to be. And But at the same time, that's what I'm saying. I, I really, even if I was single, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be what, you know, that wouldn't, those wouldn't be my goals to be on the road that much. So definitely things change over the course of time. And the other, you know, I was talking about how to get status on all these airlines. Of course, if you're going to just bite the bullet and spend the money, it actually doesn't really matter. Because if you fly business class and you're buying business class tickets, I, again, I know, I know this is for very, very few people, if any, that are listening um, because the reality is that it's just outrageously expensive. It's not something I've ever done or probably ever will do. But it is an option and it's one option that I didn't talk about. And there are plenty of people I know and plenty of people I work with and have worked with over the years that are, you know, it's business only. And they will stay home um, unless it's a real business class flight for them to go on the road. And I'm, I got, I'm like that as well also now. Like, I'm not going to have anyone... First of all, like I said before, I don't have anyone book my tickets. And second of all, if if somebody wants to take me on the road, it is, it's going to have to be business class. Especially, like I said, those flights that are like 10 hours or more. It's it's impossible. You know, it's just... You, you wreck yourself so hard after this many years as well. Again, context is everything. At 22, I was right there, back at a bus and you know, loving every minute of it, I got to say, just like the adventure of going on the road. But slowly the adventure becomes less of, less of an adventure and more of a ball ache once you've done the same flight, you know, like New York to Tokyo when I lived in New York or New York to wherever. And now LA to wherever. It's almost like getting on a bus like LA, LAX to Heathrow is is like taxi. You know, it's really, I, I couldn't even remember how many times I've done that. It's it's just such a regular thing. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 shine wears off it. The the novelty wears off after a while. So um, yeah, so that is one option if if people are willing to do that. And it, and if you are willing to stay home and say no to the gig, to stick by your requirements to stick by the way you want to be treated as a musician on the road or if you're willing to compromise in other places you know if you're willing to take like maybe the gig pays great but they they just can't add on that like four thousand dollars to make the business class ticket maybe you got to take a little bit of a pay cut here and there and uh i don't know there are there are a lot of ways to do it and for me it's you know if it's somebody i really really want to work with i, I you know the first thing is okay i'm booking my own flight anyway and let's see what your budget is for the flight okay not bad actually that would only get me a coach class ticket but it's actually a long way towards the business thing and then i've got my own upgrade situation so if i really want to do something and they don't have the budget for it um you know they'll probably never know you know i'll just say give me whatever the budget is for the flight and you let me take care of it and then i then i'm in control like i said again i'm in control and i can I make that choice and I can live with it and uh, nobody really needs to, there, there doesn't really need to be any fuss involved. So I, I try and keep it low stress like that. But for the most part, if it's like somebody I don't know or 
especially if it's a pop thing, not that I do that uh, anymore really. Um, but those kind of situations, bigger commercial situations, is minimum business class for sure. Um, and I think there's something to think about as well. Don't constantly take a beat down. You know, you might want to start with like, okay, you know what? I don't share hotel rooms. That's very like being 23 years old. Um, so that, that, that could be a good place to start, a good step in the, in the direction of getting a little bit more of a, of an upgrade in terms of your, um, in terms of your touring experience and then just, uh, take it from there. You know, I have a lot of like stipulations, little things like that, you know, it's gotta be minimum of a four star hotel. Otherwise it's a super lottery and you're like, yeah, this is a little crusty. And did I really fly like 7,000 miles to, to be this uncomfortable? (laughs) I think we have to, you know, we really have to look at that. Uh, carefully and not get swept up in the romanticism of wow we're out here we're playing music and that's all that matters I mean that matters a lot absolutely Um, but also you know taking care of yourself and uh, being comfortable and being treated the right way is super important as well Um, so yeah um, mm. oh more liquid otherwise I'm definitely not going to make it through here um and it's also very interesting when you become the boss. I don't know if there's anyone out there listening that uh, is planning on being a band leader or is a band leader and has mu- you have musicians to take care of and you have to make all of these decisions, these exact decisions I'm talking about, um, and maybe you've only made them for yourself as a freelance musician before. And now you have to make them as a band leader and it's like, oh shit, yeah, there's a bottom line here and I'm responsible financially for all of this stuff. <coughs> so th- yeah, this stuff comes in in very useful um, as you if, if you head down that road. That's something that's very fresh in my mind right now. And uh, just, you know, when you look at this little tour we have in August, it's five days. And you're like, oh, is that really a tour? <laughs> um, but the... The amount of work, uh, also the amount of just straight up money that it takes to make those five dates happen before you've sold a ticket or even played a note is pretty extraordinary. Um, hopefully I can do some like breaking down those costs, like maybe make a video about it for YouTube or something, or at least feature some of that information in the podcast because it is pretty fascinating. And also where you can save money without like diminishing the experience and without, you know, treating your band like like shit you know because you something i think something i learned maybe a little too much (laughs) was being treated like shit on the road too often and thinking like oh when i'm in this whoever i was working for like when i'm in that person's position first of all i'm not gonna um cry ignorance like oh my god i don't know it's probably the record label or you know whatever i'm just the manager this and they're always finding someone else to blame so i was like okay i'm never gonna do that um i'm also just never gonna treat the band like shit and just always be honest with them it's like it's it's one thing like i don't know it's it's one thing to um how do i put this i think basically what i want to say is that when when you are honest with them, with the people you're working with, and if it's not like 
really cutthroat. Like I was in so many situations where it was just a one-off and that you knew the person was like, I'm never going to see this fucking person again. So I, I, I don't really don't give a shit about them. And when somebody has that attitude towards you, man, that's kind of toxic. And it's, it really sucks in terms of the work environment. And kind of nobody's happy. Even the person who's doing that to you, I don't think is really happy about it. They're just like... I think they just don't have the emotional capacity to be honest. And like, if somebody came to me and they're like, Hey man, like the gig, like you, you saw, man, there were like 60 people there and the, the, the venue held 200. Like we just didn't make it tonight. Like, can we work something out rather than just being like, just, just bouncing and, uh, and not paying. Like I'd, I'd way rather, it's been a long time since that has happened, of course, but I'd way rather you tell me like, Okay, you told me this gig was going to pay 250. Obviously, you didn't sell enough tickets. You can afford to give me 100 bucks. Give me the 100 bucks and be honest about it, you know? Um, I think people are going to respect you way more in, in situations like that rather than just being an asshole. So, I I I've just all of this to say that I remember all of those experiences and I want to make sure I correct them for people that I employ and people that I work with and want to try and have the best work environment you know and that, that's almost that's as much for me as it is for them i know that when everyone's happy it's freaking awesome you know and you're happy to go down to the lobby and see people for breakfast and stuff and you're happy to like shoot the shit at the airport and you know clown around on sound check and and go have a nice dinner somewhere like you just it, it's a really really positive environment rather than being that one dick in the band you're like oh god and we've all got to be in the van going to the airport now oh shit i gotta sit next to this cat on the plane because somebody fucked up the this that and the other thing you know like yeah i will say that like i've done some tours in the past few years where it wasn't possible for me to book all of my like the tiny flights because i was part of you know another i was part of somebody else's deal and uh said person had a tour manager and all the so somebody else was kind of taking care of uh, of the smaller things and not that they knew but like you're just getting hosed like oh fuck i gotta sit next to this cow like yeah it's just a a weird a weird uh it can be a really weird feeling and i just hate that i hate the uncertainty and the doubt i think so I know this is not exactly like, hey, how to relieve uh, travel stress by getting air miles. Um, but this is all kind of part of it. And it's definitely part of my experience. I, I, I want to make sure I'm sharing that because uh, that's, that's all I have. I just have my life experience to share with you. And hopefully that pays something forwards in terms of you understanding like, oh, shit, that's right. You know, it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just... Uh, I don't just have to think about myself, you know. And I've been doing that for a while. I've been aware of that for a really long time. I'm happy to say, I'm proud to say, and I'm thankful to say. And the the reason I'm, I have been aware of that is, A, because of what I told you, like being treated like shit on the road some of the time. Not all the time. You know? I've had some great tours and stuff with other people. Um, but also being around someone like Jojo, for instance. Like I learned a lot of shit traveling with Jojo. With his band, I played in Nerve for a while. But I played in Nerve in New York uh, back in the day, like, fuck me, almost 20 years ago now. And um, kind of after 
who was I was before John Davis and like after Yossi maybe or Tim I don't remember I think the kind of the whole um, shine thing and the, the 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 Wednesday night party had been done for a while and that, that was right when Jojo was kind of bringing the band back it was still with Takuya and, and Lisa was singing and swing set was opening and yeah and 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 I know John I didn't do it for that long in New York maybe six months or something because um, me and Jojo were playing together a bunch doing other stuff doing my stuff we ended up doing my record together in 04 my first album and my second Jesus we did a bunch of shit together but anyway yeah and, and then I did it a, a tour in 07 long ass tour through Europe and Asia and just being around Jojo in those like there were a lot of things on the local level when we played in New York and we played these big clubs and it was something the clubs weren't really used to you know, because they were used to a DJ and a massive sound system and a dance floor full of people. And then suddenly there's like three, four musicians on pods in the middle of the fucking room. And like, it's all these variables and like, whoa, what's going on here? So really interesting. Oh, and Roly, of course. Jesus Christ, how can I forget Roly Mosman? And, um, you know, front of house, <laughs> center of house, all of house. And yeah, so really interesting watching Jojo as a band leader and being a part of that scene in New York, early 2000s. And then on the road because we play like some places where you would show up and it would be immaculate every single last thing you asked for on the rider in perfect working order of course i'm talking about asia and then you go somewhere like poland and you've got 14 di boxes on your rider and they've got one and it works for like half the show so like we're talking about a really big sliding scale of touring and and just gear and showing up and dealing, you know, really fucking dealing and all, all kinds of things. Dealing with Europe in a heat wave in 2007. Actually, in 2007, it was kind of heat waving like it is now, like record temperatures. And we were in like Hungary and Croatia and what the fuck else did we play? All over the place. Poland, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Singapore. I mean, we fucking, we played all over the place on that tour. And um, de we dealt with a lot of different stuff. Um, also dealt with, I had food poisoning really fucking bad on that tour as well. And I was like out for two days. We had one show, mercifully a show, I think the Kiev, the show, <laughs> the show in Kiev got canceled. And we mercifully had like two days off for me to like puke my face off. God damn. Although I tell you what, I take that over this any day. This COVID thing is is a real bitch. Um, and I heard from a bunch of people on on uh, Instagram today. Thanks for that. Um, and also sorry to hear a bunch of people going through exactly the same thing, and probably far worse as well. I don't need a. Hang on a second, mi amor, mi amor. I'm recording a podcast. It's okay, mi amor. What do you need? Okay, that's probably a sign that I need to be done. Um, yeah, it's actually a good idea. We're right around the 30-minute mark. Didn't want to get as long as the last one. But yeah, that was uh, just being in those situations. And then, of course, touring with my band, a shitload with JoJo. Um, by the time we got to touring with my band, I really... I Well, here's the thing. I thought I had it kind of dialed in. But there were still moments where I was learning a lot from him and he would like just tap me on the shoulder and be like, yo, you want to try that? I'd be like, oh shit, that's a really fucking good idea, you know? And um, 
there, we had a couple of stories I should tell before before I end the podcast. Travel war stories, shall we say. We did a monster tour in 2009, Europe, Southeast Asia, Australia. I mean, it was like fucking long and it was far. Like, for one tour, like, <laughs> I'll never forget, actually, I... I <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize what I'd, what kind of monster I'd built with this tour schedule. <coughs> but I remember handing the tour schedule to Jojo. We were in New York hanging out, something. And I handed him the thing and he was like, holy shit. And I looked at it and I was like, whatever, dude, it's like four weeks. Isn't that a big fucking deal? But it was like London, Paris, there was Spain, Italy, uh, Germany, uh, I want to say Dubai, maybe, or definitely Singapore. It was Indonesia. It was Australia, both coasts. Like, I, there was basically a lot of shit on there. I mean, looking back on it, I would never book a single tour like that. Again, I'd do it in sections, of course, Europe, and then come home and then go to Asia another time. Anyway, we get out on that tour, and um, it was all, as a lot of tours are, financially kind of anchored around a festival that was paying really well. And um, basically, for a tour like that, you imagine four musicians. It was me and Ollie Rockberger and Odin Varga and Jojo. And no tour manager or anything, just the four of us on the road. And, you know, we're moving around, like I just said, the whole world, basically. Um, that that gets expensive. So the overhead on those flights was north of 10, 12 grand or something. But I'd got this festival, really nice festival in Jakarta, and uh, not the Jakarta Jazz Festival, the Java Jazz, or whatever it's called, some other festival that they were trying to run at a different, like a po- at the opposite end of the year. And cool people on it as well. There were like 30 different acts, and um, we were going to be pretty high up the bill. It was like just everything working out great. So the idea was we get done. We did Europe, we did Southeast Asia, but, but we did Malaysia and Singapore, I think, and then we went down to, uh, we went down to Australia, which was in itself um, a fucking disaster. That's a whole other, just an episode about. Jesus, I should do an episode just about how to identify promoters that are totally clueless. Anyway, I met some amazing people get there. Don't get me wrong, the people that ended up coming out were freaking awesome um but that was a bit of a disaster anyway we did um Fremantle, and then we went over to the east coast and did like brisbane and uh what did we do brisbane melbourne sydney i think and then we were flying back to play perth at the ellington and then we were going up um which made kind of sense to stop in perth on the way to jakarta in indonesia to play this jack jazz festival <laughs> We get to Perth the day of the gig and uh, some hilarious, uh, man, geez, that was a good story tour. I should just do a podcast on that one tour. But yeah, we get to the, the thing the day of the gig and I get an email from the promoter in Jakarta saying the festival is being canceled. Like the main sponsor is backed out at the last minute. We're like three days away from the festival. Main sponsor's backed out. The whole thing is off. All the hotels, all the flights and the $10,000 check that I was getting for the gig. And I was like, the whole thing was like was based around that entire 
the entire uh, tour was based around that one festival. You know, I was able to play anyone out in um, Perth. I don't know if it's there anymore. I hope it is. But anyone in Perth will know that the Ellington is not a large club. Um, the the basement, um, which also I'm not sure is there in Sydney anymore, uh, is not the biggest place. You know, it's not a thousand people, a couple of hundred, I guess, but not that none of these places were huge they weren't each making multiple thousands of dollars per gig so but i was able to do a lot of these shows you know based on the fact that i had this huge festival anyway long story long festival gets cancelled and holy shit, i'm like really losing my mind um so i call a friend in singapore and uh say hey i know you were just in bali which is super close i mean fucking closer than i don't know edinburgh to perth and Perth is like just felt at the time. Maybe it was. It just felt at the time one of the most expensive places on earth. When I was like, "Holy shit, we have another festival to go to in Malaysia to finish the tour in Penang, the Penang Jazz Festival." And we're in Perth, and we're meant to go Perth, Jakarta, Penang. It made total sense. It made a lot of money, and now it's making no money. It makes no sense. So, I called a friend of mine in Singapore. I said, "Hey, um, I know you were just singing in Bali. Do you have any recommendations?" Like. Because I know it's kind of a travel de- destination for for Australia. It's I looked at flights, super cheap to get up there. Uh, told her the story, and she had an amazing hookup. Never forget this place, Tony's Villas. I wonder if it's still there. Fuck me. Thirteen years later, I remember it like it was yesterday. Tony's Villas. <laughs> um, I'll have to look that up after I get done here. And we're talking about you know taking care of the band and and. I, t- I told him what was going on after the gig. We played the gig. It was an awesome gig, actually, in uh, in, in, in Perth. And I told him what was going on. I said, we're going to the airport tomorrow, and we're going to Bali. And we did. And I took the band to Bali. I got, luckily, this hookup and got, got us all villas at Tony's Villas. I think we spent three nights there before we had to go to Penang. I had to rebook all the flights. And, you know, it, it wasn't... The cost of taking the band there and taking care of them um, wasn't huge. I mean, it wasn't free. Uh, it, the, the, the cost of losing the $10,000 check for that gig was what really just fucked everything up. So in that moment, in my, my choices were panic, um, take it out on a band, like put us in a situation that makes the situation, makes our lives suck even more or do the best I possibly could to take care of them, make this a memorable experience and take the edge off missing this like massive gig and totally screwing our tour up. So took the latter. We went to Bali for three days and uh, we had a total blast. Me and Jojo still talk about it today. It was freaking awesome. And um, it's just the moment, you know, the moments like that, which sort of test your, test your mental strength. Like, can you, can you get through this? Um, uh, you know, it's very easy to feel like, fuck this, I am so done, and just, like, get on the first plane and go home and fuck the rest of the tour off. Very easy. I see people do that, like, way more often than they should. Um, and then we had, we had a, a, even, I was, you know, that was one, that was one of the moments I thought, yeah, you know what, I do have my shit together, I do want to take care of the band, and that was something I know they all appreciated at the time, and Jojo told me so afterwards, which was great. And but even on the way between, uh, let's see, between Bali and Penang, we had this layover in Jakarta. Finally, we did actually touch down in Jakarta at the airport for a few hours. 
And we were kind of fucked at that point. We were tired and it'd been long travel days. And Joe was like, look, we got six hours in the airport, like overnight from like 1 a.m. until 7 a.m. And I'm, I was just going to burn it and find a bench and pass out for a few hours. And he's like, look, man, I know it's brutal. I know it's like more money, <laughs> it's more expense, but we should go to a hotel. Even if we sleep for three hours, we should go to a hotel. That was one of the best pieces of advice, best pieces of advice I've ever been given. And I've thought about that every single time I find myself in a bind and uh, choose comfort over um, how badly it might eat into the budget every single time, even if it's only for a few hours, just to take care of the band, just to make sure everyone, you know, feels appreciated and you give them the, the option to to sleep because so many times I've been <laughs> there are some situations I found myself in you would not you would not believe um and just not having the not having the option to use a bathroom for Christ's sake I mean Jesus Christ what is this like the 1700s um so yeah that that has always been front and center I think taking care of the cats and uh, I think I'm going to have to call it a day because my brain is just melting out of my face right now. And uh, hopefully when I speak to you again, I'll have rolled some uh, some low end off the mix of my voice and uh, we can get back, get back to regular service. Um, yeah, don't forget, tour dates, April, not April, my God, that's how bad it is. August 22nd, Pizza Express, August 23rd, Stoller Hall in Manchester. August 24th, La Note Bleu in Monaco. We are in Helsinki. Those tickets are only available at yannickwisdala.com. Everyone in Finland, um, that's that's the big one. That's the big risker for me. That's the one I'm taking the risk on. Coming to Finland and just, it's all door money. No split, no promoter, no nothing. That one's all on me. So yeah, yannickwisdala.com for the Helsinki tickets. And then the Rhythm Festival, August 26th in Viliandi, Estonia. Hope to see some of you cats there. Don't forget the link to the Telegram channel is in the show notes. And I'll, uh, that's the best place for feedback, questions, all that kind of stuff. And um, upcoming episodes going to be fun. I wish I'd had no COVID and been able to do the work for these episodes I want to do. I want to do a really big pedal and rig rundown on the podcast and give you some sound samples of the new bass and the rig I'm taking to Europe on tour. And also want to do Ah, uh, shit, I've completely spaced on what the other... Ah, uh, transcription, that's right. And I want to talk to a friend of mine who's a linguist, talking about transcription and learning music and how close to spoken language that is. I also want to get John Patitucci on a call and talk to him. I know he has some uh, very, very solid and concrete ideas on the subject. And it's something you guys, you know, I do all the time, so it's something I happy to talk about and share some experiences with so those are upcoming episodes hopefully i'm over this shit soon uh, that's it speak to you cats on the next one